please listen to this portion of God's word. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. All right, church. Glad to be here with you this morning. If we have not met yet, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Baptist Church. And I know we have a number of visitors. We always do each Sunday. I'm glad that you're here. One thing that you need to know about me is that I'm actually pretty new to this city. So my family and I uh, moved here about five months ago. So we're still kind of learning about the city ourselves. And one thing we try to do is to actually go and visit just different parts of town, learn a little bit about the city as we go, and explore this amazing place called New York City. So this past week, we found ourselves down in Little Italy. Now, Little Italy is a fun place, but there was actually something really uh, unique going on in Little Italy this past Friday. Does anyone know what it is? So Netflix, okay, is uh, producing a new film that's going to be airing, I think, later on this week. Um, I have not seen the film, so I'm not here to officially endorse it as your pastor. But to promote this film called The Irishman, they took over Little Italy on Friday and Saturday. And so they had people who were dressed up and pretending to be reporters that were reporting on the death of the Teamster head, Jimmy Hoffa, because that's what the film is about. And so they had these people around in costume and uh, they had a bunch of really interesting things out um, that you could get. They had this old car from the 60s and some guy with slicked back hair that uh, says he wants to have a conversation with you in the back seat. And no joke, you get in the back seat of this car and he does this whole monologue with you about Jimmy and like what, what's really going down. It was like 10 minutes. I mean, I was almost checking my watch of like, this is fun, but I kind of got to go somewhere, right? Um, They've got these phone booths that say Scorsese on top, you know, and you you go and you, like, pick up a call and you you take a tip from an informant. Just this crazy PR thing to promote the new movie, right? Totally worked on us. Um, So, you know, as I'm in the back of this car, this this guy's giving me the rundown of what's happening with Jimmy, what's happening with the mafia and the investments, and he disappears in Detroit and all this sort of stuff. And, and, And at the end of it, as you're about to get out, and you're about to be swarmed by fake reporters that are going to see if you leak any secret information. He says to you, and you know what you can do? Go to one of these stores around here and lean in real close and tell him, Jimmy sent you. And sure enough, you go to some of these different restaurants around Little Italy and you kind of sidle up to the counter, you know? You lean into the bartender and you go, uh, hey, uh, Jimmy sent me. 
and they give you stuff for free. I kid you not. <laughs> Restaurants all over Little Italy, if you, go, if you went up and said, Jimmy sent you, they like hand you, you know, it's like a cannoli here and a sandwich here and a coffee here. And yeah, you, it's kind of this fun throwback to, to a different era. And, and it's so interesting because it's really, really clear and the point sinks in really deep that when you're there and you're in this environment that it's not about what you know. It's not what you know that opens doors, but who you know, right? It's about who you know. That's actually more important than what you know. The right name at the right place will open up, hopefully, the right doors. You know what's so interesting? That's almost kind of our lesson for today from John chapter 21. Okay, not the mob boss thing, all right? That's not, that's not, that's not the point. That's not the point today. But, but there is this greater point of that what is really critical for those who are carrying on the mission of Jesus. It's not as much what you know. It's actually who you know. And in fact, uh, John 21 is so interesting because we've studied through John. We've gone through 21 weeks through the book of John. 22, I snuck in an intro week. And this is actually our final week in the book of John. And, and the story started out like this. You heard it read this morning, John chapter 1. It gives this kind of scraping of the cosmos, big picture idea, this crazy idea that God actually loves this world so much with all of its brokenness, with all of its faults, with all of its failures, that God actually sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, to become a man, to incarnate. And we call that the word. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That Jesus came as the word from God because he is God, but he came as a man and Jesus, like when you speak a word, it creates understanding. So Jesus would reveal God, help people around him understand who God is and the plan that God has for their life. And so Jesus, throughout the book of John, we see him doing this, right? He's going around and he's revealing things that are true about God. He's doing it through things like miracles, healing uh, the lame. He helps the blind see. Right? Jesus actually even raises up Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, through his actions, through his words, through his life, are actually revealing things that are true about God. But, but John 1 kind of gives us a bit of a hint at this, that, that even though the light had come into the world, again, light, this thing that helps reveal, even though Jesus came into the world like a light to help reveal who God is, the darkness didn't understand it. And, and we get this thing from chapter one that no matter all the good things that Jesus is going to do, there will be people who will not understand and in fact are going to be really offended. They're going to be even threatened a little bit that Jesus is there and he's leading people in a direction that they didn't intend. And what is true of everybody, I don't care if it's 2,000 years ago or today, people who hold a lot of power often are terrified to lose it. And so the religious leadership in Jesus' day were terrified of losing their place and their grip on the society. And as Jesus was pointing them in a different direction that they didn't hear, that they didn't understand, it became offensive. 
And so they said, we have to get rid of them. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of the book of John, things really start to shift about the time that Lazarus is raised from the dead. The religious leadership make up in their minds, we have to kill Jesus or this thing is going to get out of control. We're going to lose our place and we don't know what's going to happen after that. We have to get rid of Jesus. And so persecution continues to increase as Jesus is revealing who God is and the plan that he has for this world persecution continues to increase. It climaxes in the crucifixion of Jesus. But we said this, it wasn't that Jesus was kind of backed into the corner as some sort of unwitting martyr. No, it was actually part of God's plan. In this mind-blowing, unthinkable plan of God, that to actually save the world, the world that had sin, because the Bible says that each and every person in the world has sin things that separate us from God because we're not perfect and God is. And so how can you be in a relationship with a God when he is holy and you're sinful? Who could pay the price of sin? The only one who could ever pay the price to God would be God himself. And so Jesus came to pay that price. He lived a perfect sinless life and yet he died not because he was paying for his own sin, but because he was actually paying for the sin of the whole world. And the book of John comes to this amazing moment where Jesus is crucified and he says these these words, it is finished. The mission that God had given him, the work of redemption climaxing in the cross was finished. But that actually wasn't the finish of this story, right? Last week we talked about John chapter 20 where Jesus is raised from the dead And Paul is so very clear about this later in the New Testament. He says, if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, okay, if that's just a fairy tale that we tell ourselves to make us feel better about life and and imminent death, if it's really just a fairy tale, then your faith is useless. Christianity does not exist as it is presented without the resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, Scripture is really clear that if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, you cannot experience eternal life. You never could. Because death is still reigning. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that what Jesus said is true. We know that our sins have been forgiven and paid for, and we know that we can experience eternal life. Now, That was the amazing pinnacle of John chapter 20 last Sunday. And in many respects, you kind of feel like the story is done, right? In fact, last week, I had multiple people come up to me after John chapter 20 and go, man, I'm going to miss that series in John. Like, it was so good, you know? Because you feel like it's the end of the story, right? And in some ways, thematically, it kind of is the highlight of the story. But there's John chapter 21, And let me tell you, it's a little bit of an odd chapter. And in some ways, it almost feels like a little bit of an epilogue, a little bit of an attack on. And and it's not this epic grand narrative that comes with Jesus saying, I commission you, I send you, he rises from the dead. It's a story about guys who had a bad night of fishing. And in some ways, you're kind of like, I don't know, feels a little bit, you know, anticlimactic. Like, they probably should have just cut it at, at John 20 and, you know, called it a day, right? But, but I, I tell you, as, as kind of a little bit unusual as John 21 is, I want you to know I actually love it. 
And I think that it's really critical for us to understand today that it's not what you know. It's not less than that. But it's not just what you know. It's actually who you know. And John 21 is a lesson on how the process of revealing God, the mission of Jesus is going to continue through his disciples in a real and messy world. See, some of us here, we, we, we had this idea. When you come to Jesus, this is what it's like, all right? You come to Jesus. You say, I understand that my sin separates me from God. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus and his death, his burial, his resurrection, that because of the life of Jesus, I can have life. And this is what we think. So now, guess what? I just kind of float, like with hands out like Jesus. I don't know if he did that, but it looks like what Jesus might do, right? And you just kind of float through life. And, you know, I mean, it's not that you're perfect, but like nine times out of ten, you get it right. I mean, you, right, I mean just like the Spirit of God is, is flowing everywhere, and you have no problems, you have no struggles. That's not John chapter 21. And I actually want us to look at today what the resurrected life of Jesus looks like intersecting with the messy reality that we all experience Turn with me this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. Uh, the Pew Bible in front of you is, is right there. You can also pull it up on your smartphone if you want. Let me encourage you to look at it because we're going to read through actually the whole chapter. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now that they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out in it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I want you to underline that. Jesus said to him, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So John chapter 20, this amazing scene, Jesus resurrects from the dead, the empty tomb, he appears to Mary Magdalene, he comes to the other disciples, he breathes on them, he he gives an imagery of the Holy Spirit coming, and then he commissions them, he sends them out. 
And then we have a story about a bad night of fishing. Does it seem a little odd, like a little quirky to you why this is in here? But I tell you, it's actually a really amazing story. So here's what's happening. As Jesus has commissioned to send the disciples out to continue and carry on the work and the mission of Jesus, but there's a bit of a gap that they're experiencing, okay? Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He has uh, empowered them. He's given them this mission, but they haven't actually gone out yet. It's kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the Gospels have a summer break, but it's kind of like a summer, break, summer vacation, you know? They've got just this little bit of time in between. And Jesus was routinely supported by wealthy women, Scripture tells us, who were donating so that Jesus could have a full-time ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing along with the disciples and not have to work to get food for the day. But Jesus is now gone. He's resurrected, and he's appearing, but he's not with them on a daily basis. And so the disciples have to kind of make some ends meet. And so they go back to what they know, which is what? Fishing. If you remember the first part of the book of John or the other Gospels, that the disciples actually were fishermen by trade, most of them anyway, and they had a family business, actually. So this was, this was the family business. So you got some time. You need to make some money. We're going to go back and do the family business, which is fishing. So Peter goes, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to use the time, and we're going to go fishing, and, you know, I wait for what's to come. And they go, well, we'll join you. So these are professionals, okay? This isn't like when I take my son fishing, and I put a worm on the end, and I just hope, like, there's something there. I don't really know what I'm doing, you know, but we're trying. It's, that's not what it is. This is their job, okay? This was their expertise. For some of them, it was the family business. So they, they knew what they're doing. They own boats. They own nets. They're good at it, okay? And yet, they go out, and they catch nothing, nothing. All night, they're working, they're exhausted, they're frustrated, not so much as a striped bass, nothing. And then there's someone from the shore that calls out to them. Hey, guys, children, caught anything? I don't know about you, I would be so annoyed at that moment, right? You spend all night trying to catch something, right? It's your job. It's your craft, okay? You're good at it. Nothing. And there's somebody who's kind of an armchair fisher captain, you know, from the beach going, hey, guys, you get, got anything out there? How, how's, how's the catch going? You know what's so fascinating? When did Jesus choose to intervene? after a long, exhausting, failed night. You know what's crazy about this? You know what most of us, we wouldn't say it this way maybe, but we think this, right? The sign of God at work in my life is what? Success, ease, right? Abundance. It's just, it's just raining down blessing. The pathway has no rocks in it. It's just smooth and paved, and that's when I know God is working, when did Jesus actually show up? He waited until they were exhausted. See, it, it challenges our idea of what it means to have God work in our lives sometimes, right? Jesus waits till they are flat exhausted and gives, you know, something that could be a little maybe uh, annoying to hear. How's the catch going, guys? Got anything? I got some advice for you. Don't you, wouldn't you love to hear that? <laughs> I got some advice for you. 
right? Jesus is kind of channeling his New Yorker right there. Let me give you some unasked for advice, right? I got some advice for you. Why don't you take the net and cast it on the other side of the boat, five feet from where you've been doing it? Now, I don't know if you know a lot about boats and water, but let me just tell you, that's nonsense, okay? Right? Fish are not like all just staying on the right side of the boat in in masses and teeming, you know, thousands of fish, and there's nothing underneath, right? There's just open water. They're just going back and forth all the time. And so here at the point of frustration, after they have experienced a lot of failure, right? And God will let you experience failure, after they're experiencing failure, he says, I want you to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And you know what? I think they were just so exhausted they did it. <laughs> Fine. You know what? Take it, walk it over here, and drop the net down to prove a point. You don't know what you're talking about, bystander. And what happens? They catch so many fish that the net can almost not even hold it. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's... that's Uh, most likely John, the author of the book, it clicks because that's nonsense, right? That doesn't, you know, aquatic situations do not develop like that. So he goes, it must be the Lord. It's got to be Jesus. And as soon as he says that, Peter, in very classic Peter fashion, very brash, uh, you know, not thinking, he throws his jacket on and he literally just dives into the water and swims on over, leaving the rest of the disciples to like do the work, you know, and actually bring in this, this big net. And the net, by the way, that the text is very clear to say, but the net does not break, even under the tremendous weight of 153 large fish. And so they, they get to this place. And you know what's so amazing about this story is that even after the resurrection, even after Jesus has commissioned them to go out, even as his power is working through them, the disciples are still the disciples. The disciples are still the disciples, a group of people who are utterly dependent on the power of Jesus to do the work of Jesus. And God orchestrates this this miraculous situation, intentionally producing failure and frustration and exhaustion in their lives so that they can make a point. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how much expertise you're bringing to this, no matter how wonderful you may be, without the power of Jesus, you cannot do the work of Jesus. And you know what's crazy? Jesus didn't pick those now 11 because they were just the best 11 that Cana and Galilee had to offer, okay? It wasn't because their amazing expertise. It was because God simply chose them out of his goodness and grace, and he was going to work through them. Okay, I'm going to tell you a hard truth. Everyone ready for it this morning? Okay, you ready for it? This room is, everybody is not here because this is the greatest collection of individuals that New York City has to offer. I think we have a very high percentage, okay? But it's not everybody. It's not everybody. And and you know what the crazy thing is? God is not involving you because you are just so spectacular. 
God is not involving you because you're just the greatest thing since sliced bread and maybe even before it, okay? That God has chosen you and that God will do his work through you. And without the power of Jesus, you and myself, we cannot do the work of Jesus. And there's this incredible lesson for the disciples, even after the resurrection of Jesus, that they are still disciples who were desperately dependent on him. The disciples are still the disciples. Look at what happens in verse 15. Jesus has a side conversation with Peter. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to them a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said this the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That's crucifixion, by the way, stretching out of the hands. After, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So here's Jesus, and he gives this amazing lesson to the disciples. Remember what many of the disciples were doing when Jesus actually called them? What were they doing? Fishing. And here we come all the way around at the end of the book, just exactly as we started, because the disciples are still the disciples. And Jesus comes, and in the beginning, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now they are actually fishing, and he wants to make it really clear that you cannot do the work of Jesus without the power of Jesus. And, and yet, when Jesus is working through them, there will be a tremendous, a tremendous, abundant result. And so much so that even though it's strained, the net will not break. Do you remember Jesus saying to the Father as he prayed, that God, I have gathered to me everyone that you have set apart, and I have not lost one except the one that was chosen as the son of perdition. That, that God will do his work. God will not lose one that he has called to himself. The net will not break, but it must be done through the power of Jesus. Now he has this side conversation with Peter. And, and we're gonna wrap up a bit of a story with Peter because Peter, Peter was just the guy who said at the Last Supper, even if everyone else goes away, I will stand by you because I love you more than these. Jesus, made, uh, Jesus was, was saying that everyone is going to scatter and Peter flat refused, not me. Everyone else may do it, but not me. And Peter actually fell away in one of the most embarrassing, shameful ways possible. Not only did he run away, but three times he denied Christ. When asked, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? 
at the crucifixion. He goes, no, not me. I don't know Jesus. Three times, finally with a, a little girl by a campfire, he is so scared, he's so worried about saving his own skin that he just starts cursing and yelling, I do not know him. The guy who said, even if everyone falls away, I will remain because I love you so much more than these other people. Here he is covered in shame. And Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus actually leans into it. And what he's going to do with Peter is he's going to bring restoration by leaning into the pain. We, we saw this earlier, right? With Jesus, with the woman at the well. They're having this great, amazing evangelistic conversation. She's talking about, I, I want to know more about spiritual life, about this the getting my, my spiritual needs met, this water that will make me never thirst. And Jesus, it's like he stops in the middle of the conversation, right? When I would be saying, close the deal, do the altar call, Jesus, now's the time. He actually stops. And he goes, hey, why don't you, um, why don't you bring your husband to come talk with me? And all of a sudden, he highlighted and opened up the lid on a, on a deep well of shame that the woman had because she didn't have a husband. She'd had multiple, and who she was with currently wasn't her husband. And it's like Jesus peels back the most painful part of her life when he totally could have avoided it. And here we see Jesus with Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these. Remember that time, Peter, that you said, I love you more than anyone else here? Peter, with everyone listening around this fire, do you love me more than these? And Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Okay, Peter, I want to ask you a second time. Do you love me more than these? And he asked him three times, one for every denial that Peter gave. You know, yeah, my wife was reminding me in counseling, this would be called a mismatching experience, right? Where, where you've been doing this thing, you've been going in this pattern, you've been walking down this path of, of shame, of the thing that you most don't want anyone to bring up. Please no one talk about this. Jesus actually leans right into that conversation and for the three denials that Peter gave, he wants to have three affirmations. I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And after every one, it's like he calls him back into ministry. Just like at the beginning where he says, I want you to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Then I want you to feed my sheep. You're not out of the fold. You're not out of this business of, of doing the kingdom work that I'm actually calling you for every failure. I'm calling you by grace to continue the work that I've done in you. And I tell you, the disciples are still the disciples, but Jesus is still Jesus. And he's doing his work of restoration that there is no level of failure that is beyond the grace of God as he calls people back to himself. Look at this, our very last paragraph. 
verse 20. Peter turned and he saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following them. And one of them had leaned back against him during supper and he had said, Lord, who is that that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread among the brothers that the disciples were, was not yet to die. But Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The disciples are still the disciples, absolutely dependent on Jesus. Jesus is still Jesus, sovereign in their lives. And you know what I love about the end of this? That Peter is still a work in progress. You know what the crazy thing about this book? All the amazing themes, chapter one with this big overarching idea. You've got the resurrection of Jesus, these amazing commissionings. And what is the actual last words that Jesus says in this book? If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Of all the things, of all the phrases, of all the verses that you could have put to close out this most tremendous book, to have it be the final phrase of Jesus, Peter, it's none of your business. That's essentially what he's saying. The final words of Jesus in the book of John, Peter, it's none of your business. Follow me. Because here's Peter, the last things you see of Peter his amazing restoration, his Lord, you know I love you, and the actual final phrase that he says, hey, but what, what, about, what about John? Like, I'm just curious, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like step on any toes. I'm just, you know, where does he kind of rank with me? He's going back to the exact same thing that Peter always does, right? Well, where am I? Am, am I, you know, because I love them more than these people, and it's this competition thing. It's petty, it's incredibly petty. Peter ends this brilliant book in an incredibly petty moment. And Jesus ends this entire book by saying, Peter, it's none of your business. Just follow me. You know what I love about that? You know why I love why it ends like this and it doesn't end on this, this beautiful, like, top of the mountain, chapter 20? Because that's reality. This is what it actually looks like to follow Jesus even after We've been put on mission, even after we have the Spirit working in us, even knowing that it's the work of Jesus through us, that at the end of the day, at the end of this book, Peter is still in progress. And church, I want you to know, I am still in progress. And I want you to know, you are still in progress. And no matter how, how good you think you are, I have, a, this is my second point of hard news for today, right? You're actually a lot worse than you think. There is a holy, righteous God in heaven, and even when you are on your spiritual A game, I'm talking, you are praying, like you are passing out tracks, like they're good mornings, you are just like, you're doing the best you can. You are still so far short of the holiness of God. 
And you know why that's oddly comforting? Because there's this amazing grace that you experience when you go, God, I'm still in progress. And the disciples are still the disciples, absolutely dependent on Jesus. Jesus is still Jesus who's sovereign in our lives, and we are his people and his followers who are just in progress. And God knows that. And God will do his work through you. You know, as the worship team comes up, as we prepare for communion today, you know what this book wasn't meant to end with John chapter 21? This wasn't meant to be just some sort of uh, fun historical fact that you can read and go, well, maybe there's some life lessons there. No, actually, for those who know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, that the story doesn't actually end here. It continues through you. See, because all of his disciples are commissioned to continue the work of Jesus, the word who came, the one who reveals who God is, that continues through you. And so you go, I don't know that I'm, maybe that's the pastor's job, right? Like, isn't that why we pay a pastor is to like do the work of Jesus? You know, I don't know about me. I don't know about you either. I don't know about me. But you know what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's actually God doing his work through his people who were utterly dependent on him because we're all a work in progress. And the sovereign Lord will work through your life.